Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Today, I'm joined by, at this point, our most frequent guest of all of them, because I have some questions, because he's been making episodes lately on, um, on Yugoslavia. And in general, he likes all things Dugin, and he's one of the very few people that can understand me when I talk about political philosophy when it comes to this very specific war and everything. And there's going to be a bunch of other questions in here as well. We're, of course, going to make him comment on the latest news, as we lately do now. Hello, Alex. Nice to have you here again. Hello. I, I uh, think you all know at this point from what yeah. the podcast says. So. History impossible. I'll just say it just in case. You never know. By the I like way, it. I like calling you Chris Jobs because I don't know anybody else named that, but I have heard you call yourself Chris, and I have heard our mutual friend Andrew Heaton call you Chris. Do you go by Chris as well? Uh, no, no, that's what I tell Americans who can't pronounce uh-huh. my name. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm fine saying Chris Jobs unless I'm butchering it when I say it. So no, no, it's, it, it, it's fine. That's the Latvian way of saying he is totally butchering it right now. Nah, man. <laughs> the thing is, I can't really complain about anything being butchered. So you know. Yeah, after your last episode, which I don't know if this is coming out right after your last one that you just put out today about the criminals who the late great Yevgeny Prigozhin. <laughs> I, I feel bad just saying great. Even I was just memeing, but I feel bad. But like the literal criminals, the rapists and murderers that he placed within the ranks. Or I don't know if he placed them, but his organization placed within their own ranks of Wagner group. I mentioned it in chat on the discord earlier. I shouldn't say he he's gone, but his organization yeah. Wagner is basically yeah. Rest in piss. His organization is literally taking a page out of the SS, the Nazi SS with their Durwanger brigade, which was literally a brigade of violent criminals engaged in what a shock, horrible, violent things during the war. But it sounds like these guys were much more inclined towards committing crimes after they left the front line. They were released from prison to be used. Then they returned to civilian life and then just went back to the horrible shit that they were doing before they were imprisoned. Right. Well, yeah, there's a thing. They just sort of felt like they can do anything. They had this sense of power that they are now immune to all punishment and all that stuff, you see. Yeah. And I think that sort of uh, makes them vulnerable, I suppose. 
Mm-hmm. Again, it's kind of like this is weird. That's one of the grimmest things that I've uh, done on my show. The last episode, it was pretty brutal. Yeah, I'm glad you did, though. I just got to say that. I'm just curious what you think, like how much of this is tied into the philosophy at work of, you know, using these people to fight on behalf of Russia in Ukraine and how much of it is just them just being criminals. Like, I mean, how much of it is deliberate, I guess, is what I'm asking. The answer would be, um, I guess, just yes. Okay, complicated then. It's not like uh, you can really pick or anything like that, I suppose. Sure. Again, it's not easy. It's literally both, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's tied together. It's basically uh, criminals have been enabled to, you know, do even more stuff that they normally do. You know, Mm -hmm. you take criminals, you validate them and then they go back and then they have like, they've gotten even more used to all this situation. And then Prigozhin became some sort of a national hero in a way as well, to, to an extent. It was all a bit of a mess. And the problem is that this is, I always speak about this, this is the criminalization of the Russian society, which is happening right now. This is where the society has kind of chosen to, I suppose, uh, move away from civilized laws and become run by totally these panyatia. I mean, if Putin, the president, decides to, instead of doing anything normal, just to basically uh, kill people at random, you know, Prigozhin's affair was just insane. Yeah. Just yeah. That was one of the most bizarre things I've seen in my life. It was just truly, truly weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a um if there was a like a sort of deliberateness on the part of, say, Putin, for example, from the establishment, from the state to instill what I've heard this term and it's like a totally different context, but it's instilling a sense of anarcho tyranny. You basically allow for anarchy to exist and it secures your own power. Again, the context is usually different. I've heard it. It's funny. I've mostly heard it discussed in the context of San Francisco politics regarding like our homelessness crisis, our addiction crisis and so forth. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm thinking is in the context of sort of Putinist Russia especially one that is essentially going through a crisis. I don't know if I would say a legitimacy crisis because I don't know what the levels of support are and what, and you cover this all the time. So I'll defer to you on that. But my, my point is just that I wonder if like there is an element of calculation there by allowing this kind of chaos to be unleashed by dumping, you know, prison population into the military apparatus and then letting them return to civilian life. I wonder if in a way that's a sort of tactic at normalizing violence within the society at a greater level. So therefore it legitimizes greater repression, greater criminal sort of maybe not behavior, but criminal mindset on the part of the state. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, it it kind of does. This whole legitimization. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what's happening. The lawful power, like everyone's feeling, I think to the point that uh, right now they're doing this election thing, right? The regional elections, kind of like administrative ones in Russia currently going on. And right. uh, today I saw a video, which is like filmed in um, near Zaporozhye, one of these uh, cities, smaller cities, smaller villages around, which are occupied by Russia. And right now Putin's goal is to create this veneer of legitimacy because he's into trouble with this whole situation where um, if you are a person, Ukrainian living in these occupied territories, well, today you could see a van arriving at your place and someone just yelling, please come out and vote in the mobile voting booth and then you know guys with guns just kicking your doors and if you don't want to vote they'll arrest you and they'll literally force you to vote under gunpoint because Putin wants to currently show that well look look at how many people arrived to vote in these regional elections that means they want to live here and stuff as if they have like the ability to vote for whoever they want or as if that even matters to begin with (laughs) yep 
Exactly. So I got to ask, are there other names on the ballot just as a formality or is it just like a joke yeah, I mean, ballot Put- where it's just one person's name? It's just Putin's name no, <laughs> or no, whatever. Putin usually tries to like uh, do something, you know, to do these ballot things occasionally now and then. Sure. Very rarely. But uh, oftentimes it just turns into tons of bizarre adventures where, where everything's just weird and wrong. So there are other candidates, so-called sanctioned opposition, but not like they matter that much. Yeah, they're they're um. Well, you said sanctioned opposition. There's a. I think the term here is controlled opposition. I'm assuming that's synonymous with what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, that's the same thing, except people yeah call it a sanctioned opposition inside of Russia. So. Yeah, yeah. To be perfectly honest, it's not even that surprising when someone describes like a sort of outside candidate, quote unquote, controlled opposition, like a third party candidate. I've, I've heard people claim that about the Green Party, the Libertarian Party and so on and so forth here in the States. But it, that's mostly just conspiratorial thinking. And I don't blame people for thinking that because it does kind of feel like our party system is just it is pretty corrupt feeling because it's just we're stuck with two. But, you know, I mean, and see, just on a side note, I just. I really want the GOP to deny Trump the nomination because he would give us a third party. I would love it if we had more than two parties. I don't even care what the what the third party is. I just want more. So if if we get that, that'd be awesome. But that's a whole other thing. And but yeah, like the controlled opposition thing is, I would imagine, a very popular move within dictatorial states like Putin's. That's like the standard thing that you do. Right. I haven't looked into it. I mean, but I think they just don't even like have that pretense in places like China. They just don't even bother. It's all internal to the party. But I don't know enough about Chinese politics, contemporary politics, at least to really say one way or the other about that. But the sense I get is that it's all internal within, you know, the halls of power in Beijing. But regardless, yeah, it's the de facto move. It does sound like, yeah. Technically, technically speaking, there are other parties besides the Communist Party, except that all these other parties always cooperate with the Communist Party, you know? Exactly. China. Yeah, I'm going to defer to you on that. I mean, but just the point is, my sense of Chinese culture is much more on the ground, and there just isn't really a political culture with regular people. Now, there's very political people, and there's a very active political culture in certain corners of it, I suppose. That's like a needle in a haystack kind of situation. There's individuals you can point to, like Ai Weiwei, for example. He's a big dissident within China, but he's just one guy. And I don't think he represents like a very significant amount of people within China. I think most people in China just don't really have much investment in politics, maybe beyond the gossip. I don't know. China's different in a sense because China yeah. actually functions as a government. Sure, a lot of things are parallel. Sure. A lot of them. But the system in itself, it still functions. It's a government, basically. It doesn't function as a crime group. Like Putin has stopped functioning right. as, as, a, as a someone who runs an actual government, you see. That's the problem here. It- Okay, I just I'm, I love thinking of analogs. Would you say then Putin? We'll just say Putin, but we're talking interchangeably yeah. about Putinist Russia and so forth. But it sounds like you're describing Bathist Iraq, like under Saddam Hussein, which was basically just a crime family, like operating as state leaders, or perhaps maybe the well. I don't. I wouldn't make a North Korea comparison because North Korea is very clearly a like a sort of. Like, bizarre monarchical system with communist aesthetics like they still consider Kim Il-sung their leader and that the offspring of Kim Jong-il and now Kim Jong-un are just basically extensions of that it's like a patrilineal line of leadership 
So I would say it's a little bit different because I have no sense that Putin he has he has kids. Right. But I have no sense that they have any real power or any. There's no sense that they're going to take over when he dies. I don't get that sense. Am I wrong on that? No, no. I, no one really does uh, think that uh, his girls, he has two girls, uh-huh. okay. will take over when he dies. Sure. So it's not going to happen. No. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like the czarist system in that sense. No, he really has the feel that it's going to continue like that. Especially. Yeah. It's probably going to be something else and weirder, but uh, that's a problem. Putin has eroded everything to the point where there can only be Putin. Uh huh. I feel naive whenever I'm talking to you about this kind of stuff because I'm just thinking like because of your relentless optimism. Uh-huh. Well, it's a, it's it's my Americanism. I'm I'm very pessimistic by American standards. Keep that in mind, which means I'm an optimist by global standards. But anyway, I I, I was going to say though, like I just don't understand how a guy who is now seventy, or is he approaching seventy one at this point? This is end of story. He's old. How does he not think about what happens next? The maintenance of his nation that he supposedly cares so much about that kind of suggests to me, and I know this is a big shocker, he doesn't actually give a damn about Russia. All the philosophy that surrounds him is just a fucking bullshit facade and that he really is just caring about self-enrichment and that he might just well be the most powerful, selfish person on the planet in that sense. That's a big issue here. He has to go into history books. That's for sure. And he will, but, not for the reasons he wants, but he will. Honestly speaking, we know that he gave Yeltsin this whole guarantee about his family and everything. Mm-hmm. But what's his all insane thing? I just don't get it. It doesn't really seem like there is much to it, to be honest. Like no plan, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hesitate to say this because it gets people who politically I find kind of obnoxious, like it gives them, it makes them froth at the mouth, but... It kind of has a Trump vibe. And what I mean by that is that no sense of object permanence, that sense of like immediate like gratification is really all that matters. And you're not really thinking about the next 10 years. And I'm not saying you got to go full Stalin and have like a 10 year plan or whatever. I'm just saying that if you're only thinking about yourself and not thinking about the future of your nation, that by default makes you an unfit leader. That's putting it mildly in a lot of cases. In Trump's case, I would just say unfit leader. In Putin's case, I think there's a lot more to say about why he shouldn't have power, but that's a different story. Currently, that's a, that's a big issue here, because I wanted to ask you, invite yeah. you here. It sounds silly, but I'm just watching all these people, you know, the Club of Angry Patriots and now Gitkins in prison. Everything's like uh, going crazy. People are going mad about all sorts of things. I'm looking at this, and, and maybe you can help me here. All of them constantly, they say they need to win this war for all sorts of reasons, all the time. I, I don't get what makes people think kind of like like they do, because all the time they're like, oh, glorious Russia needs to win, Russia is so awesome, everything's great, and then they kind of you know yell at Putin, yell at the officers, yell at how everything's been doing bad. And like It seems to me that they, are, they have in their heads some sort of an idea of what Russia is, but that totally does not even in any way or form relate to what Russia actually is, you see. Mm-hmm. How can you manage to be at the same time, like actually more or less objective about the situation on the battlefield and you want things ordered, yet at the same time, how can you not see in your head that it's not that mystical Russia in your head that you're fighting into the Putin's Russia with Krabs and Kadyrov and with everything, mm-hmm. right? How can you reconcile the reality and the uh, the ideal? I mean, yeah, 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 that's the biggest question of all in a lot of ways. I would say that 
people within nations tend to have a much more disparate set of ideas of like what makes them a nation compared to what people on the outside think of them, especially the bigger the nation gets. I mean, we've talked about this, I think on my show and on your show, that the external view of America is pretty uniform for the most part. There's like some deviations here and there, but it's mostly that we're a bunch of entrepreneurial optimists who love to make things up like, you know, like create new things and just, you know, never let someone tell us no and that we love to kill each other with guns like that's and that we're all fat. Those are kind of like the the tropes that we all see. You like the gun. Yes, I have no. The gun is the big one. Yeah, exactly. This is why I think we should be more friendly with Serbia. I think we have a lot in common with them. But uh, yeah, the reality is, though, and this is especially pointed, I think, is that America is probably one of the most internally disparate nations out there we have a lot of unifying things but we have a lot of like conflicting cultures within us and i think that's probably the case with most countries especially the bigger and more multi-ethnic multi-religious multicultural you get and russia at the end of the day is a pretty big place i don't mean just geographically i just mean it's there's probably a lot of different self-conceptions in there and it becomes more difficult to unify around a singular vision a singular nationalist vision I can't speak to Russia beyond just the speculative in this case, but I would imagine that it's because there just hasn't really been a unifying vision. Putin has tried to put himself at the center of that, but he hasn't done a very good job. That seems to be the case if like people are getting mad at him for doing what he said he would do and so on and so forth. To really get at the core of your question, which is how are people, at least in Russia, but I would say you could probably broaden this, why are people having difficulty marrying reality with the ideal it's because the people who are engaged in such things they care about the ideal more than reality is secondary at that point if you're a true believer in some cause we see that here constantly for example you have people believing on the right in america that donald trump actually won the election in 2020 and they got so into that fiction, that belief that they stormed our capital. Now, I think it was bad, and I think a lot of people overstate how bad it was comparing it to things like Pearl Harbor and 9-11, but it was bad nonetheless, and it was because people bought into an ideal. Well, the ideal was first that it was Trump was the real victor, and then the next ideal was we're going to make it clear in the most fundamental way possible that he was, and we're not going to let this system override us. That's a very powerful fiction. That's a very powerful narrative, and I can understand why people really bought into it, because it feels good, especially from an American idealist perspective on the right. Then on the left, you have this idealized vision, which is perverse because it's very negative, but you have an idealized vision that black Americans leave their houses and are being slaughtered and hunted down like dogs every day, when that is not true either. But it fits an idealized vision, again, a negative idealized vision, of what the country is actually like. It fits a narrative that these people have bought into. They've bought into it because it allows them to feel like their identity is intact. And once their identity is intact and thus proven by events, it makes them feel whole, if that makes sense. I think for whatever reason, the idealized vision of a Russia, of an America, of whatever, based on various biases within those cultures, is indicative of someone feeling whole. This is how they feel whole. They feel like a whole being 
if the idealized version matches up with their preconceived notions. That's why reality does not matter to people like that. Does that make sense? It was kind of a rambling answer, but I was my best way of no, trying to is, describe it. It is. It is just, it still seems kind of weird because these people who speak about like Gitkin and everything else, they, they are so confident about everything else. They, they really objectively look at how things are going on on the battlefield, right? Mm-hmm. That they are more or less subjective about how Russia is doing. And then it switches over to this, and then they're mm-hmm. kind of like they selectively oh, ignore all this stuff. It just you're talking about selective objectivity, yeah. That's a cognitive distortion that, that I think it's a human thing. Where like I mean, it, it kind of is related to the idea that if we do something wrong, it's external forces' his fault, and if we do something right, it's because of something internal to us. That's something that everybody is vulnerable to like all of us here on this planet. I would argue we are vulnerable to that because there is no reason to believe the opposite unless we don't like ourselves very much or unless we like have a preconceived notion that feeds into it. I I think, yeah, what we're really getting at here is self-delusion and self-delusion being a very human thing. And we see it sort of projected on a big scale like this. I actually talked about this somewhat in my most recent episode in a much in a different context and it was much darker one, but it relates, which is that when you actually look at the micro history of places like Yugoslavia, which is what I've been looking at. Mm-hmm. You see people like neighbors, literal neighbors killing each other in horrible, horrible ways. They like to do that. Yes. Yeah. But and that's the thing. You see all the like like macro rhetoric from the Ustasha, from the Chetnik, from the communists. You have all this macro rhetoric that informs the behavior that then informs the history. It's important. It, it needs to be there. But when you delve into the micro scale of a small town, like in the case of this uh, micro history study by Max Burkholz called Violence is a Generative Force, what you really see is people just enacting grudges. It's usually for material gain. It's the most what we would call petty reasons that a neighbor would kill a neighbor. The reality is that was always there, that pettiness. And it wasn't exclusive to Yugoslavia. That's what I'm trying to say is that I think it's I think this is a human thing. But when enough social forces and enough charismatic leaders converge as factors, you're able to justify anything. You're able to justify murdering your neighbor or the grocer down the street for a petty grudge. Because the guy on the radio said, ah, well, that guy, he has, you know, he has that last name, that last name, it, you know, it belies where he's actually from. Those people who have last names like that, they have it out for you. So you have these justifications given to you through the rhetoric of your leaders, through the gossip of your of your neighbors. Even it doesn't even have to be a top down thing. It can be very grassroots. The point is, is that we're all very petty, self-interested creatures and justifications are very easy to slot on top of those things. So I think that that's like what I'm getting at is I think that that's the best way to look at things like this is that. There is a self-interest going on, so that's why people are able to suspend rationality when it doesn't suit them and then employ it when it does. And I think that that's what's happening with these people you're talking about. I honestly don't know how they even actually believe their own weird ideas, to be honest. Mm. It is sometimes very strange what they're saying, like extremely strange. They're getting it from Dugan. That's why it's strange, right? <laughs> not just from Dugan. <laughs> no, not yeah, just yeah, yeah. Like, it's just that it's all such a mess and such weirdness going on there hello there and thanks for listening to another episode of the eastern border 
Dear Patreons, thank you more than ever for supporting our show. Your donations are crucial to keep us going and right now all of your money is going to securing good information for you and to fund Kristov's actual real-life mission to Ukraine to report to you live about the war that is going on there. Also, we would like to use this opportunity to urge you to donate to other organizations that are helping people escape Ukraine safely and to defend the country for those who decide to stay on the ground. One such organization we would like to highlight is the Defending Ukraine Together Come Back Alive movement. Launched in 2014, the Come Back Alive became the biggest organization providing support to the armed forces of Ukraine. You can donate directly from their webpage comebackalive.in.ua. Remember that no donation is too small. In this situation, every dollar matters, every cent matters. If you're uncomfortable with giving money to war, they do have a position on their website that they are providing Ukrainian army with laptops, lights, photo equipment, cables and is not purely military. Perhaps that might change your mind, but remember you can also donate to strictly humanitarian organizations such as the Red Cross and others that are helping people escape Ukraine safely. Please also keep following us on social media for all of your latest updates on Eastern Border on places like Twitter and Facebook. Keep listening, keep yourself informed. That's all from me now. See you online. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life. Like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help. From fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One of their leading guys, this Kvachkov dude who got his own administrative case, right? He was so much into all this idea of the fact that people will actually follow him and uh, basically just stay with him and actually vote for his ultra-Orthodox nationalist socialism. It is exactly what it sounds like. A Russian version of German nationalist socialism? They, uh, of course, will say that they have nothing in common with Nazism, but uh, you you saw the song, dude. You saw the song, man. I did, yes, the video. Well, let's give some context. Let, you should let your yeah. listeners know what we're talking about here. Uh, that is a song from Shaman, mm-hmm. a Russian. Uh, some call him artist, uh, I presume. Uh, he made a propaganda song about the war and about everything. It's not a very good song, and it has uh, extreme connotations. He's dressed there. 
looking exactly like a Nazi, like 100%. And he has. Oh, really? Oh, man. Oh, the <laughs> armband. Yeah, yeah. The armband. Yeah. I was thinking about his pants. I was like, I thought his pants were kind of cool. What does that say about me? <laughs> that's, that's how it's shaman uh, me. Yeah. Or us. Yeah. I actually looked this guy up after you sent me the video, and it's a hell of a video. I do recommend people look it up. I don't know how Americans would look it up, like how they would type it. I think if they said shaman Russian artist or something, they'd be able to find it on YouTube. But I, I was reading about him, and he, like, blew up in popularity outside of Russia because of his 2022 song. And I don't, was that that one that you showed me or did that one, was that a different song? That was, I think that was this one. Okay. And to, and to further de- the description, it's this guy who looks rather stylish, but he does have a little bit of a Nazi iconography thing going on just a bit. And he's just like stride, he like strolling around fucking red square and like doing really K-pop-esque hand motions, which I, th- which I thought was really funny, and singing about how great it is to be Russian. It's, it's yeah, it's pretty wild. In a way, but like, uh, and he also has one about being Russian and everything. I guess he's kind of embraced his whole situation. And I understand mm-hmm. it because I, I spoke with some people and there are quite a, quite a lot of people who are against that the war was even started. But they're like, well, now that the war exists and now it's going to be bad if we lose. So we must now support everything. Supporting despite loss. That's what you're that's the thing you're really hitting at here. And that is um, I would love to look more into that before I say too much. But that just strikes me as a more of a psychological phenomenon. You could on one hand, I'm, I'm just going to do some speculating here, I guess, because, you know, we're here. This is what we're doing. But. It On the one hand, the distortions that we're talking about, the cognitive distortions of these people, the selective reading of facts and so forth, it could just be a sunk cost fallacy at work. They've invested in the ideas. They've invested in the narrative. They've come too far to back down now. Like that, That's a very powerful force in politics. I know that, that fallacy. But it could also be a sense of, and this is where I defer to you on the cultural question, like a sense of obligation towards your mother nation increases the harder the mother nation has it does that make sense like you're losing so they need us more than ever like that's what the rhetoric would tell you but is that something that is actually felt and believed by people would you say especially in russia or a culture like russia's well see this is the point uh this is what putin is trying to do he's trying to turn this war into some sort of great patriotic war for the existence of all of russia's you know it's really beneficial for him to say to people that uh, oh look that this is somehow a thing that they're gonna, you know, win or lose or die trying or something like that. Did you see? Yeah, yeah. It's obviously not true because no one wants to destroy Russia. I believe Russia is gonna fall apart on its own, but it's mm-hmm. not gonna be due to the West, definitely. Yeah, That's- but the and this is not me disagreeing with, uh, you know, that being an eventuality. <laughs> but what worries me is the idea that the fact that Russia falls apart, we'll say, if it does will then be seized upon by, you know, nationalists within Russia, or if it starts to fall apart, we'll say they'll seize upon and say, see, because the West opposes us, clearly they have a hand in it. So I I wonder if it's like a sense of like the West is like by supporting Ukraine is creating a self-fulfilling prophecy for these people. That's not our fault. That's not our responsibility. That's their own responsibility for having that kind of delusion. But I'm just saying that a self-fulfilling prophecy is a very powerful thing, and it happens a lot. With especially with more radical visions of the world. Obvious example is deliberate provocation of authorities to create a self-fulfilling prophecy that those authorities are oppressive. That's exactly what the Yugoslav partisans under Tito did. They were all about creating self-fulfilling prophecies as a matter of tactics, where they would deliberately attack 
targets that had Nazis in them, like Germans, or, you know, places that would, would inspire retributive justice from the Nazis or from the Chetniks or from whoever in order to basically make the people of those regions hate the reprisal makers so much, hate the Nazis, hate the Chetniks and so forth so much that they would only think the Yugoslav partisans were their only option. Very uh, tried and true tactic, and it's profoundly cynical. I'm very sensitive to the idea of creating a self-fulfilling prophecy, but because it's so easy to fall for it, I'm just wondering how much that's going to play into how things shake out in the coming, well, I guess years, we should say. Make it a lot more than months at this point, because we've been at this for a long time now. I, I don't think it's going to last for many years. Oh, you don't uh, think so? Okay. I, I, see, I, this is the thing that with all of the pro-war guys are yelling constantly the fact that if this is going to look like it's going to last for a long time, then Russia is going to implode from inside. It's not about if Ukraine is going to defeat Russia. I think Russia is just going to defeat itself. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that they are actively working on. It's like less of a self-fulfilling prophecy, more like they're actively doing the things all the time inside of it. There is no feedback loop. Everyone who dares to criticize anything going bad in the Russian army, uh, yeah, they get arrested and sent away all the time. Right. Everyone is actively being told to not to even try to like uh, do anything uh, even remotely. To clarify, you're saying that within Russia, there's no self-fulfilling prophecy going on because they're they're trying to avoid that. Yeah, but like, okay. they're blaming us about literally everything already. Like right. All the time. That's what I mean, though, is that I, th I feel like just Western involvement creates the sense of, a, creates the risk of a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, being perceived. I guess I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved because of that. That's a that's a weak reason. But I'm just saying I was just throwing out there this idea that it's just going to probably make it impossible for self-reflection to occur within Russia. I mean, expecting any nation, especially one at war, to have any self-reflection, any meaningful self-reflection is a tall order anyway. Like even but like I'm, I'm talking I'm talking about the fact sure. that uh, they uh, they're actively basically sabotaging everything because currently they are kind of a you look at this and it's kind of like a schizophrenic mind because Putin yeah. has to prepare for his own elections next March and his political wing is saying that he needs to do one thing and his military wing is saying that he needs to do other thing. That mm. is a country already getting more and more divided against itself. And I mean, Prigozhin's coup doesn't really happen in countries which are extremely stable and totally not prone to, you know, any <laughs> damages and stuff like that, you see. No. <laughs> I would think that like if uh, a private military company tried to stage a coup against the United States government, that would that that would be a sign that things are way worse here than than they actually are. I don't think things are great here, but they're it's not like Russia, to say the least. Everything is a bit of a mess at, at this. Russia is clearly not the most stable of countries. Putin likes to make sure that everyone thinks it is. I can't call it stable. They don't even have like a working court system at this point. They just jail people at random. Mm -hmm. And and all, all those other things that are happening there, they're just... Russian government has been tried to make sure that everyone lives in total apathy, you see. Apathy mm -hmm. was the norm. Apathy was mm -hmm. the thing. And they've tried to make sure that no one even as much as thinks is getting involved in any politics or anything like that. Well, and in Russian history, when when was the last time that Russia was a stable state? Or maybe I should ask it different, differently. When was it at its stablest, in your opinion? I think it's actually 1913. Okay. <laughs> I think 1913, yes. Leading into the revolution. <laughs> and, and, then, and, then like, and then like Brezhnev's there, but it was totally stable. Okay. It was stagnant and pretty horrible. But it was stable. 
ish. And then, so was was it Afghanistan that changed that? I think it's really because of the economical situation started to crack yeah. on everything. It's like the stagnation, sure. the whole idea that uh, people are just there's this rule in Russia that you know uh, assure that you have good basically standards of living and you don't bother about politics. Mm. People are not supposed to go into politics, and people are like not supposed to worry about all this stuff. And then things happen. That's kind of like China now. You're not supposed to go into politics. I'm just wondering, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I keep going back to it just because I, you know, obviously I have a yeah. personal investment in it, but it's like, it's just really interesting to like, look at these two different trajectories that occurred for these two countries that are right next to each other and ostensibly shared the same system of government, but one made it out and the other didn't. But regardless, I, I don't want to derail onto China again. <laughs> so no, no, yeah. Like, China's also interesting. Uh, recently with one of my Discord buddies, we, we went out and flew my drone. And turns uh-huh. out China is literally blocking a drone like around Chinese embassy, which is the only embassy you can probably uh, fly anywhere near. Uh-huh. Uh, around there, they're just blocking drone signals. What would you mean signals like of like the video of the drone itself? Yeah, does it video. just crash? Oh, okay, okay. Okay. So the drone doesn't crash, but then it just the video cuts out when you go near the embassy. Yeah. yeah. Wild. That's wild. And it's oh, kind man. of weird. I can't test on other embassies because most of them are in Old Town. You can't really fly there. In the United States embassy is uh, next to the airport. You can't even do anything there as well. So Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just, I'm just thinking about like the idea of an embassy. Like, wh- Why just China? I feel like that's, that would be like a good move to do in general <laughs> if you really care about your security. I'm surprised that the American embassy doesn't have something like that. Or maybe I can't, it does. I can't, I can't test it, you see. Sure. I, yeah. So... I would think they do at this point, because if they didn't, then I feel like there would just be drones buzzing all over the American embassy in like parts of the world, at least. And uh, well, and somebody in chat says it's illegal to have a jammer, but um, I suppose it is illegal, but I'm not sure exactly. Okay. Might not be, you know, who knows? I guess, yeah, you could make the argument, legally speaking, it's an obstruction of justice kind of thing. But I mean, I, I... I know nothing about Latvian law, so I will stop right there. <laughs> so, yeah. Who knows? And I can't test. And not, not like I can go and ask these people right. as well, you see. It's not, not the thing that you just do. With Russia these days, one thing that I also kind of don't get is um, I don't get like Elon Musk at this point. Because he obviously reads what Russians are saying. He gets some reports. He must get some reports, right? So he knows that Russia already is positioning itself as being super aggressive towards Western countries. They already spew out propaganda and everything they already positioning themselves and, and put it openly stated that it's like war against the west and everything how can you think that you not getting yourself involved and no matter what he does it's not going to change russia's opinion that they're, they're they are at war with all the west mm-hmm. it's not going to happen so why bother why why play these weird little businessman games and everything yeah, you're asking what makes elon musk tick these days not, not i mean elon musk is a elon musk here is kind of like uh uh, a symbol. It's a lot of like people who still right you know, appeasement and everything. Oh, you're so you're saying like why why is there um like a push from corners of you know yeah, like we'll, people in the we'll west just say the the west the yeah west, people in the west in general uh, they're they're like oh well what, let's not send all the aid what if Russia thinks we're involved well Russia already thinks you're involved Put we and we've that. already it's sent the aid <laughs> yeah, yeah like we've like, already sent it's like it's a sunk cost to use that term again it's happened it's not it's not going to get worse okay and I would actually put my foot down and say no we're not doing that I I would be very opposed to that but it would be like if we sent Zelensky like three nukes like okay at that point 
that's a provocation. You'll that's laugh. different. You'll, you'll laugh, but uh, in one of these things that I read, the crazy Russian general stated that all evil Americans have already sent uh, tactical nukes to Ukraine. That, that was their latest thing. I don't think it's that easy to just do, but regardless, I, you know, my, my point just being like, if we like sent like, you know, long range ICBMs to Ukraine to just do whatever they want with, like, I think that that would be a reasonable argument for the anti-interventionists to make, because I would be among them being like, what are you doing, Biden? What are you doing, whoever is president, giving them nukes? Don't give other countries nukes. Just don't do it, especially when they're in a life or death situation like Ukraine is like that is the worst kind of person to arm with nuclear weapons or biological weapons or whatever, I would think. But. Uh, to you know, go back to the outside of the speculative. I mean, in the case of Elon Musk himself, I think he's just internet poisoned. I think he believes what he's doing is right, but I think he's also kind of psychologically infected by the kind of um, people that he thinks are cool. If that makes to be so, uh, it sounds kind of crude, but I think he doesn't want to be seen as uncool by a lot of very influential people on social media, especially now that he's the Twitter guy or the X guy. Uh, so I think that that does motivate him more than people are giving credit. He's very clearly one of those nerds who became one of the cool kids, and now he's desperately trying to hang on to it. I think that animates him to some degree. But when it comes to people saying, like, we don't want to antagonize Russia, like I said, unless you're talking about something extreme, I don't think it really makes any sense to be saying that. I think that it is it kind of goes back to what we were talking about and kind of fits into the idea of identity, where I think a lot of people want to be seen as peace loving. They don't want to be seen as warmongers. And I think Americans in particular are very sensitive to that, especially I mean, we've talked about this. Like, I, I think that this is really what is at the core of why so many people have who might have otherwise been super pro war like 10 years ago or, or 15 years ago. I think it's because of our experiences in the Middle East. We it just it it shaped the generation here in the United States and that cannot be underestimated by people who served, by people who know people who served, by just seeing the news constantly, by learning about all the lies that were told to us about that, about what led us into places like Iraq that cost thousands, of, well, you could even make the argument millions I've heard made in terms of how many people died because of our interventions there. My point just being we are a war-weary country in the most cultural mimetic sense. And I think that it's going to just be a harder sell, even like when Putin and his people are saying the quiet part out loud about what they think of the West. It's just going to hit a brick wall at a certain point. And I think what this war, this Russo-Ukrainian war is revealing is the distance at which Americans are willing to put up that brick wall. And I think some of them they don't have the brick wall yet. They are full on board with supporting it. But I think it just is going to get to a point where pretty much most Americans are just going to have that brick wall set up saying, OK, no more. We don't care anymore because we just I, I just don't think Americans really care that much. It was an identity. But, but, but Putin's, Putin's really counting on that. And, I, and he is. Used, yeah. Yes. Yes. And I unfortunately, I, I don't like saying this here because I know that we have some folks here who don't want to hear it. And I feel bad saying it. I'm not saying it triumphantly, but he's going to be proven right. I really believe he's going to be proven right because well, that, that is just what Americans are like. That is the thing. That is the thing. Uh, here, here we differ in our opinions. I think mm. he won't be proven right because he'll 
well, just be removed from office sooner than that. Oh, oh, so he he won't be proven right in. Okay, no, let me be, clarify. When I say he'll be proven right, I don't mean he'll be proven right in effect. I think he'll be proven right in principle. Like eventually, like Americans will just stop caring. But I don't know if he will last by that time. The question is the time frame that we're talking about here. And in that case, I'm willing to entertain that possibility. It won't matter. But I think that in principle, he is absolutely right. He does understand the American social mentality, I think, quite well in that sense. See, I don't really think he understands that. It's just that there are, it's more of an accidental thing. I don't really think he understands mm. much about that. Fair. It's just that there are things that you share in common. Like the idea of like war fatigue, that kind of thing. No, the fact that, you know, he counts on um, Americans basically losing out on this and stop supporting because they, he believes you are way more, um, way more like him. Let's say that mm. he, he doesn't believe uh, any nation can actually hold some ideals. Of course, there are business interests all over the place, but mm-hmm. you guys still do have at least some of these ideals still going as far as I know. I, or so I think I would. Hope. I mean, I, yeah, I, that's a, that's a very tough question. On the one hand, I just want to just outright say, no, we don't. But that's just me being that's the pessimistic side of me, the pessimistic American side of me. But I also do think that we are a very idealistic country. So if the incentives align, I think we would like want to. I think maybe like the wrong people are selling it. That could be an issue, too. I'm not sure. But I I do think that Putin might be wrong that we are just as corrupt as him. Like we are very idealistic. We do have ideals, but I think we have a lot of trouble with attention span. I think that might be why he's accidentally right, as you put it. I think that we don't like to commit to things like as a culture very long term, especially when it becomes like a split, I guess, when there's an ideological split. But in a way, though, you know what? I'll contradict myself. The fact that it has split on party lines, the um, the support or not support of Ukraine has essentially split on party lines pretty neatly is probably a good thing for Ukraine in that sense. There will be people who have every incentive politically to support it. Culturally, I think we've actually already kind of moved on because uh, we're I mean, we're talking about like the next Star Wars TV series and Disney Plus. Like it's that it, I think that. Politically speaking, though, there could be a sort of like layer of defense there, maybe because of like the incentive structure. See, that's that's a big issue here. Again, I don't really know what Putin would consider. Like currently, I don't really really think Putin even knows what what he wants himself. And Dramson Kadyrov is also like, if you've seen him lately, he's looking poisonous and everything. There is no vision of future for Russia. Russia doesn't know what right. Russia wants to look like. They don't have anything. They're just going on as they have for a while. But it's not like they are doing that much of, of anything, really. It, it is funny. And, you know, I can tie him in like, again. I just I love bringing him up. But uh, that's sort of the ironic thing about people calling Alexander Dugan Putin's brain, because Dugan does seem to have a pretty, I won't say coherent vision of the world, but he has a vision. I mean, he has a Eurasianist vision. That's his way of looking. He, he thinks that we should be living in a multipolar world where America has lost its influence. And that there's different, you know, polarities, there's different, you know, gravitational pulls to different parts of the world. He wants Russia to be one of them, if not the main one, at least in the, you know, in the Eurasian sphere. And I don't get the sense, especially from what you've been saying, that Putin is even remotely aligned with that because he's not aligned with anything. He's just kind of adrift. That seems to be what you're saying. 
he doesn't even seem to do what Dugan's doing because he's also just right. failing all, all, all over the place. And, and Dugan himself is just posting more and more angry, rambly rants, which makes <laughs> yeah. sense. I mean, his daughter was exploded. I mean, right. And, you know, she was an asshole, but at the same time, I'm not going to celebrate that because that was, you know, pretty tragic. Losing a daughter is not good, but what a brave stance for me. <laughs> Losing a daughter is not good. <laughs> But, but in all seriousness, I what has Dugan been up to lately? Like you said, angry posting, rants. Like, yeah, very, very much posting all sorts of how the West needs to be destroyed, how this is like the mm. final battle, all, all that nonsense, all, all the time. Just very much up to his head in, into this whole mess. Would he? Okay, just play here for a little bit. If it was up to him, and if he had the means to do so, would he advocate for a Russian land invasion of the United States to conquer us, or just a nuking of the United States? Like, what? I, 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 guess, I guess nuking, but they, they, they constantly invent new ways how you sure. are actually all doomed, and how everything's horrible. <laughs> we, does he not understand that we grow the majority of the world's food? Like, uh, we're not doomed. <laughs> we're fine. We are blessed with the you, best geography on the planet. Haven't, you haven't checked out uh, my buddy Maxim Kalashnikov from the Zed Patriots who follows him. See, that's the thing. These guys, um, they're not really good at economics, you see. They, uh -huh. they believe in, in some sort of uh, economic mo models that work for, I don't know, mid-20th century Soviet Union. It's all about right. reindustrialization re and heavy everything. They, they can't even grasp the concepts of, of how internet properly works. It's just <laughs> alien for them. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's 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 roast Dugan a little bit. And we can tie it into what I was saying before about how at core everybody just has these base motivations, this self-interest going on in the late 80s, early 90s, whenever that was. And he was like starting his like, you know, cringe national Bolshevist bullshit party with that one dude whose name is escaping me. Like they were just busy partying and having Nazi orgies. OK, like that's all he wanted to do is just party and have Nazi orgies. And then he created this ideology, this ideological highbrow bullshit to surround it so he could make himself out to be a more complex thinker than he actually is like that. that that's what's going on with him. And I think that what you just pointed out there kind of proves that that he clearly doesn't have a serious grasp on how the the world works and not just Dugan, like oh, all these right oh sure all, all yeah. around because i i've noticed that what they truly do all the time is that they seriously believe that for some reason the world's going to be a much better place if only we can return back to these soviet days which we have lost it's not like soviet ideology at least wanted to build something new okay this what, what they're having <laughs> I mean, I'm just laughing because I'm just like, yeah, they wanted to build something new, but it was kind of a nightmare. But yeah, these guys are pathetic in that sense because like, they don't even have that. I have to quote Big Lebowski here, okay? Because this nice. works for this case here. Say what you want about the National Socialists, but at least it's an ethos, okay? Yeah. Or, or <laughs> as, as, as it, it's like... Okay? It, it's like Lenin said, you look for the person who, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 I'm the walrus. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say? I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, I don't know what Lenin quote he was trying to say, but it's amazing because uh, that's just what I know it as now. But anyway, um, that kind of feeds into something you were saying earlier about just sort of this like disconnect between but between the reality and the, and the ideal and all that we're it was in the midst of talking about that and you were just kind of at least implying that there just is like lack of coherent vision going on too and i'm wondering if that's like maybe a a broader social crisis within like the russian culture 
maybe the Russian political culture, maybe the Russian culture more broadly. I, I, well, I see mean, the problem that at all the political culture has been basically destroyed. No one believes in right. elections. Now they're happening like uh, in three days, right? With, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's like they're not even trying to pretend like it's not going to be faked. Mm-hmm. And, and the Russian liberal position, they're busy yelling at each other, like Maxim Katz is yelling at, at, at uh, Navalny's team, and then Navalny's team yelling at, at Khodorkovsky. It's like they don't even have a unified front to do anything against it. It's just that it's gone. There, there is no yeah. political culture there anymore. Hey, everyone. Annette, the editor here. This episode became quite long, so we took the decision to split it into two halves. You've just finished listening to part one. So to hear the rest of the conversation, head over to part two. And enjoy. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border Show. If you have any questions or comments, go to our website, theeasternborder.lv, and leave a comment there. Or email us at theeasternborder at gmail.com. We'll be sure to answer. You can also follow us on social media and contact us there. If you enjoyed this episode, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. And remember, happiness is mandatory. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.